Hi. 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 Welcome to Trauma Rama Ding Dong. I'm Remy. I'm Jonathan. And in this episode, we're going to be talking about trauma around the body. We have a very cool guest today. Jonathan, would you like to intro? Sure. So I went to uh, California Institute um, of Integral Studies a number of years ago, and I was in a cohort with uh, a really cool academic, like just visionary person who I love deeply named Eli, and they agreed to join us um, on this episode. So Eli is here with us. Hi, Eli. Hi, great to be here. Thanks for inviting me. Yay. Yeah. So like, first of all, how's everyone doing? Let's do a little, you know, a little checkeroo, see how everyone is. I mean, I had a really chill day. I went to the farmer's market. I took a bath. Um, you are in your I, bathrobe at this moment. I am currently in my fuzzy bathrobe, just like <laughs> the CBD, like bath soak that I took is just really soaked in. So that's, that's where I'm at. Also just real quick. I, uh, my name is Jonathan and my pronouns are he, him, they, them. Ooh, good one. And mine are uh, she, her. Eli. Uh, this is Eli and my pronouns are any pronouns you want and especially interchangeably. Cool. Love that. Awesome. Yeah. Yeah, I had a cool day. I'm just like, I'm actually a little tender today, feeling a little Um, like I've had some stuff. I've been doing this like IFS work. We've talked about IFS, right? We did. Yeah. 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 I've I've talked about IFS a little bit, but um, I've been doing IFS work with my now ex-therapist that speaking of trauma, my therapist was like, oh, I'm moving to Palm Springs. So I like can't be your therapist after next week. And I was like, what? What? Wait, why can't they? That's bizarre. I'm so sorry. It's like insurance stuff is the thing. Yeah, I'm sorry. That was actually one of the biggest uh, reasons why I was like thinking about not going into therapy, being a therapist is because it's like, it's kind of a commitment, right? Like, especially if like your client or your patient chooses you and you don't choose them back or like, what if they need you longer than you're willing to give them? Like, there's a lot of like questions there. I am more comfortable with it now, but like, like five years ago, I was like terrified of like having to leave someone like mid mid therapy. So I'm sorry that you experienced that. I for sure cried (laughs) for sure cried when she told me I was like Shelly what are you talking about but anyway what's cool is she does this weekly IFS zoom meeting and it's like a group meeting but no one fucking goes but me so I just like basically still get to work with her but we did an IFS session and the whole you just for those who are listening can you can you just talk about the internal internal family systems model real quick Yes. Okay. So I, I'm, which is IFS just for everyone. Yeah. So I'm super green, but, um, I've been doing it for a few months. Essentially, I won't get into all of it, but essentially the idea is you have the self that is like truly you like, and it is for some reason, it's a bunch of C words. It's like calm, uh, collaborative, curious, cute. No. Um, but also (laughs) cute. And that's like the part of you that is always there, never goes away. Right. Um, the constant, but then you create all these parts to protect yourself uh, mm. from like the deepest fucking pain of your life and all the shame and whatever. And these parts, there's like what they call managers who like manage your right. And then there are um, firefighters. Firefighters, right. right. Who are like the addiction um, aspects. They like make you want to eat chocolate when you're sad or make you want to get drunk or make you want to, you know, go fuck a bunch of people or like whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, Which is both, th- those are both me all the time. Just right. We all, record. we love all these things. Yeah. Um, but all of those parts are there to prevent you from, to distract you from the parts called exiles, which are the, those are the parts that like embody the pain and the shame. Mm. And mm. so like, we were sort of like dancing around IFS for a couple months, but then on this, on this session, it was like, uh, we, we like 
fucking tapped into an exile, which I had never done mm-hmm. before. And mm-hmm. I could not, that was Thursday. And I was a fucking mess on Thursday. I was just like, wow, crying all day long. And then I cried Friday. I was like, I think I'm okay today. <laughs> and then like uh, an hour went by and I was like, nope, nope, not okay. No. Um, but it's good. You know what I mean? It's like, it's why I do that work. I want to do that work. I want to get right. the Scorpio in my chart is like, get to the root. Um, so like, I, w- I want that, but I also was like pretty blown away by like the reality of, you know, the pain it's real. Right. <laughs> Remy, Remy, something you just brought something up for me that happened to me today that involved tears. What? Say um, that. I mean, we've all been in isolation, um, especially in San Francisco, but today in San Francisco it was so beautiful and there were just so many people out, which, you know, is kind of scary for a few reasons, but um, I just was noticing how everyone had kind of like dressed up and like, particularly like couples, like had like dressed up to be seen. Mm. And it just, it made me cry just because mm. it was like so sweet, you know, and like mm. just acknowledging that people want to be seen, but also that like, you know, how cute that people like put on a cute outfit to go out into the world today and it was like it, was made it a, me cry what were they tears of like no it was like sweet I cry yeah. for all reasons but like for some reason the happy tears or like the overwhelmed tears tend to be my more like common tears like I the the, the sad cry doesn't always is I don't always cry when I'm really sad but I, I do cry when I'm like overwhelmed or like really happy or like moved, you know? Yeah. Right. Totally. Yay. So it was good. Yay. Yeah. Totally. Also, it people are cute in San Francisco. They're real cute. People are cute in San Francisco, but like there was like these couples that were like, had definitely like kind of matched each other and oh. were like out to be seen. And I was like, Oh gosh. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I love it. I love that too. Yay. Eli, do you want to give us a little check-in? How are you doing? Oh, yeah, for sure. I'm loving thinking about happy couples out with the sun today. It was so lovely. Uh, I spent the day, like Jonathan said, uh, I've spent too much time in academia. So I spent the day applying for graduation today. Mm. Really excited about. Happens this May. So, yeah, sunny day and productive. Awesome. Yay. Awesome. Okay, cool. Well, should we jump into it? Should we talk about let's it? Let's do it. Talk so, the talk. Let's talk the talk. So Remy, you're gonna you're gonna do it. You're gonna do it. I'm gonna do it to it. I'm gonna do yep. it to it, y'all. Okay. Okay, yeah. So I have some notes here because um I was thinking a lot about body stuff and I was like, let me really get into how this started. And so actually if I think about it, you know, I grew up in the 80s which had like the sexual liberation influence from the sixties, but without any of like the far reaching cultural effects from the feminist movement in terms of like not make, and by the way, I'm speaking from the perspective of a cisgender heterosexual woman. Um, so just to be clear, that's where like, that's the view that I'm coming from, but anyway, not making women feel like they need to just be like a cardboard Barbie cutout, which I think we're doing a much better job of now. But in the eighties, it was like, mm. you know, there was so much pressure from TV and media to be a sexual object of desire for dudes. Like the commercials, mm. when I think back, the commercials were insane. It was like, oh, insane. yeah, insane. They were, they were like, even like, you know, I think that just not to historically unpack it too much or, you know, override what you're talking about, but like the ways in which, you know, the 60s were a reaction to the 50s and the mm-hmm. 70s were a reaction to the, the 60s and like so on, you know, the 80s were just this like yacked out, sex positive, like feminizing, like women's bodies are always being used in service of men, right? Totally. Not only in like consumerism, capitalism, but like the 80s being like this emergence of neoliberalism just happened to be that like the focus. Yeah. And I was like four and right. I, you know, like my, I was a latchkey kid. So I'm like watching TV all the time. And it, you know, the commercials were like, oh, do you, you know, like gum? Well, shut up because all that matters is being thin and sexy. You know, it was right. just like, 
here's anyway, boobs. right boobs titties um so I remember just from a very early age feeling this pressure to be beautiful and I honestly don't think that I ever really saw myself from like I didn't see things from the inside out like I would see myself from the outside on like I was mm-hmm. never looking at the world through my own lens I was like seeing the the world as as the way it saw me on the outside, right. like just how I appeared. So there's, um, so anyway, so I was thinking about that and I was thinking about different kinds of trauma, right? So there's like trauma and then there's like trauma light, you know, it's like, it's not the buffet, it's the appetizer. So in terms mm-hmm. of like body image stuff, there, there was the trauma of the time, uh, that I neared my pubes when I was like, <laughs> <laughs> like a teenager, early teenager, I can't remember. Like oh I neared the bikini line and I was feeling so good about myself and like the grooming decisions I was making in life until these cute auburn pubes grew back in, in this like brown black color because nair uh-huh. is made out of like, who the fuck knows? Like, you know, right. like does Mr. Burns run nair is that like the plant that homer is working in? like what also is- when we were growing up there were nair commercials which oh, yeah, if that it's- tells you anything about like social evolution like imagine like i don't know do you know what i mean like imagine like a millennial child watching like a nair commercial that now. is such a good like, point yeah. and i still remember the nair jingle it went if you dare wear short shorts <laughs> nair wear short who shorts wear short yeah who wears <laughs> short shorts yes <laughs> Yeah, I love that. I anyway. also there were a lot of jokes. I had my twin and I had a lot of jokes about like what we would do with Nair, who would get the Nair in the hair, Nair in the where hair, where the Nair would go. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Who would we? Who would we unhair? D hair. <laughs> yeah. If given the if given the Nair. You know? Well, anyway. well, I can see that being like use like the weapon weaponizing Nair because. it's fucking dangerous too it's, it's like, already a weapon but also like what clever naming right no hair yeah nair. Nair. imagine being in that like meeting and they're like what are we gonna name it they're like no hair nair. yeah a man obviously named yeah that, that was a man 100 anyway, anyway my pews basically looked like a it had a fucking frame around <laughs> it was like so ugly like this dark brown ass frame like definitely not a look but anyway I whatever I later got them lasered and now only the cute pubes remain you know thank you patron saint of pubes but I I was definitely like traumatized by that as far as trauma light goes but in terms of like trauma Saint pubisha Saint pubisha (laughs) Saint pubisha Um, may she may she rest May she may she bless the, us. May she, may she bless, bless. Us. yes. May, may pubes she Saint bless pubes bless in peace. Um, the patron saint of pubes. <laughs> but in terms of trauma plus, you know, like the fucking five course prefix trauma menu, mm. um, that didn't really show up for me in any seriously problematic way until I was eighteen and I was like egregiously and outrageously cheated on it was like a whole mess that maybe i'll get into oh no some other time yes oh, oh yes. no um yeah and it was like you know it was a perfect shit storm of trauma it like involved all my friends uh, um as cheating often does right thank shit you storm yeah thank you. And I was a teenager, so like I had that tremendous <gasps> strike against me, you know. Well, like, and it's your first exposure, right? And it's like to quote Cheryl Crow, right? Thank you, and, please. And many before her, but like <laughs> the first cut is the deepest. Thank you. Yeah, it was real. It was really bad. And on top of all of that, like I had a lot of unhealed trauma around self worth and mm. feeling like I only mattered if I satisfied XYZ requisites. And those were like being good in school, belonging to clubs, you know, kind of looking like I had it together on the outside. And then also, of course, duh, like being attractive to men. That one was so real. Right. So, um, anyway. Or being in service of men, right? Yes. Right. Yeah. yeah. So, okay. So, anyway, I was cheated on by someone. Um, someone that I deeply trusted in this like twisted mindfuck situation that of course only a Gemini man could conduct. <laughs> and um, <laughs> instead of having like the healthy response to cheating, which, you know, the healthy response is like, oh, this is a reflection of this person's inability to be in integrity because of their darkness and mm. their bullshit that they haven't worked through. Instead mm. of 
that my response to the situation was if I had been prettier, this never would have happened. Mm. And that thought, it's not like that was like an unconscious thought I had. It was, it was at the front forefront of my mind. It lived rent free in my head. It was like a fucking Vegas marquee, like flashing Mm. neon lights, repeating those words over and over. If I had been prettier, this never would have happened. So I took on the responsibility for this dude bro's actions and I internalized the shame and I projected that onto my body. Mm. So I stopped eating because as far as I was concerned, being prettier meant being thinner. Right. You know, because we live in such a fat phobic culture. And at the time, I well, was especially like, at that time. Right. right? Yeah, yeah, exactly. I was there wasn't even a conversation around it at the time. It was just like right. Duh, thinner is prettier. Right. And I, you know, I was pretty thin to begin with. So I quickly started to look like pretty fucking gaunt and unhealthy. And I loved every minute of it because I thought that meant I was more sexually desirable and, right. and therefore I was protecting myself from pain in that way, you know, cause like women who are seen as beautiful by the society suffer less within the society and are, are afforded more opportunities. So losing weight was like super comforting to me. Um, mm. right. And because we often talk about anorexia as like, you know, as a way of, um, wielding control, like having control in a situation that feels chaotic for mm. me, it made me feel like I could physically alter myself in a way that would increase my value within the culture. And, and therefore it would prevent me from experiencing this terrible pain ever again in my life. Right. And I, that, I mean, that insight that you have that at all, you know, people, people go their whole life without experiencing insight like that into that behavior. And I, I just wanted to, yeah, give you credit for that because that's so insightful. Thank you. Yeah. I, you know, thank you, Shelly, my therapist. Especially in a culture that is like predicates, you know, rests on the shame of the body. Yeah. Right. Totally. Right. Yeah. The, you know, capitalism. How do we, oh my how gosh. do we get, make money by making you feel like shit anyway? So. And spell you nair. And so, right. Yeah. Sell you or, nair. Or sell you, you know, diet plans or it pills. It permanently or changes the color of your hair. Like, yeah, right. right exactly. Um, so yeah, so anorexia, that was my entree into like physically manifesting the patriarchy through my body, like psychic Mm. medium style, like channeling the patriarchy through my body. Um, and also just physically representing the lack of self-worth I experienced and was experiencing as a woman, you know, just like swimming in societal misogyny, but also as someone who was sort of like emotionally emaciated as a child, I was just like, Mm the emotionally malnourished growing up and you know I was looking for love and validation and safety in this relationship and so when instead it just like fucking handed me this massive poop sandwich I completely lost my footing not that I really had footing (laughs) to begin with it was just that like the trauma sort of set me off um can I do you mind if I interject just some insight that I've gained on yeah, my own please. trauma? So I had an eating disorder as well, both mm-hmm. overeating and undereating. But one of the things that I learned about it was it was a way of just reinforcing to myself as a core belief that I wasn't good enough or that I wasn't mm-hmm. hot enough, like proving to myself, see, you're not worth it. See, mm-hmm. you're not worth eating. See, you're not worth it. And isn't that interesting? Yeah we both were doing the same thing, but with totally like there were different motivations behind it. Right. And in a way it was punishing me for being different. Right. I was like punishing myself for being gay and I was punishing myself for being wanting and I was punishing myself for all these things. So yeah, I just, I think that just pointing out that there's also layered and, you know, opposing ways that people engage. Yeah. Like it can look a lot of different ways. I also had a therapist that was like through Kaiser (laughs) when I was like 12 and, or no, I was like 14. And I remember her distinctly telling me that anorexia was such a boring and lazy (gasps) disorder. (laughs) (laughs) And I was like, so shook. I know. I know. What? How dare she? 
Yeah. And then she told me after that, she was like, if you're really going to harm yourself, do something. And I was like, wow. But I think she was trying to say it in a way like tough love. I mean, that was like also the early 2000s where it was like tough love, you know, like people told it how it was to and like I was like, I'm a 14 year old (laughs) person. Anyway, go ahead. Oh, sorry. That happened to you. Fuck. Um, Yeah. Yeah. So, so yeah. So I was fucked up over that situation for years, you know, so that's kind of the first one. And then, and by the way, at the end of this, I'm going to talk some about like what helped me, like what worked, but, um, the second trauma plus that I experienced around body image happened when I was 23, I moved to Puerto Rico and I was working there and yeah, yeah. I was living in Puerto Rico and I was writing grants for a children's shelter and I found a stray puppy who was like literally five weeks old fit in the palm of my hand. He's cute as fuck. So obviously I decided to take him in and I then got worms from him, (gasps) but I didn't know that I'd gotten parasites. And yes. And I would, Oh my God. Yes. uh, Thank you. And I would continue not to know that for two fucking years. Shit. Yes. And I remember this. I remember you post this. This is when I met you. Yes, I feel well, like you brought it up, but you uh, you alluded to it. I don't think you ever told me the real. Well, don't you remember in San Francisco that I couldn't eat hardly fucking anything? Yeah, what was that you it called was, it? It was because I was still you called it something that. particular, and I forget what it was. I don't know, but okay, but I don't remember what what I. But basically, it was parasites. I just didn't know. Oh my god! For a really long time, yeah. Um. And then you're always like Remy friendly. And then like, that was like, that was the, the foods that's that were Remy tequila. friendly. That was like tequila, tequila was Remy friendly, but like rum was not. Yeah. Right. Right. Yeah. Anything that had sugar was not Remy friendly. I did that diet for 10 years and I still have. To what is that diet called? Mm, I just called it Remy friendly. <laughs> I remember. Well, that's all I remember it as. So yeah. Anyway. Yeah. Um, yeah. Okay. So anyway, so I didn't know that I didn't know for two years. And during those two years, because of the parasites, I had a lot of fucked up symptoms, but one of, one of the ones that I got was terrible. Oh my God. Terrible acne. Like, <gasps> and, and I had never had acne before, but here I am 23. And all of a sudden I have cystic acne all over my face. Oh my God. And, and like nothing. And of course I didn't know the cause of it. Right. Not that that, I mean, but I also don't think acne in and of itself, right? Like people, that's another like capitalist construct, I think. Well, I'm going to talk about that a little bit. Mm. Um, anyway, I was like trying really hard. I, at the time I did not want acne, right? Like I didn't want it and I, nothing I did worked because it wasn't like like oil wasn't the problem, you know, it was like right. fucking literal worms were chilling in my oh gut. Oh my God. Remy. So I know it was awful. So in the meantime, because the issue was this parasite situation, everything I ate would cause terrible breakouts, like literally an apple, a piece of bread. Oh my God. So at the same time that I'm trying to figure out what's happening, I started to get severe anxiety around food because I was Mm. always terrified to put anything in my mouth because like, um, oh, great. We've removed the 40 minute time limit on your group meeting. Love it. (laughs) Okay. Um, just got a little note from zoom. Um, yeah, everything would result in immediate breakouts, like within minutes. So I was always, uh, scared. I was, I was living in like constant terror and I plummeted into this like deep, deep depression. I wouldn't leave the house. I was crying oh constantly. God. I was having, how old were you? 23. And this was, was this in Puerto Rico or yes. was this here? I oh was living God. in Puerto Rico. Yeah, and so, so you I, were alone. Yeah. I had no, I had no one. I had no family. Oh Did I had no you friends. still have the dog? I kept the dog. Yeah. Well, oh. also I didn't know that he was the issue, you know, yeah. and Truman, also by, my, Truman, my dog is also a rescue and also had worms when I rescued them. Um, but I knew just because the first time they pooped, I saw a worm. So you're like putting that out there. Um, yeah, so I could, but yeah, you, anyway. So maybe you have worms. <laughs> no, you I would mean, know. You would know. Yeah. It's terrible. Yeah. Um, I've also been on antibiotics so many times for, I've, girl, if, if I had anything living in there, it's gone. It's dead. I've, yeah, I've had yeah. the I yeah, I've had the clap. I've had it. I've had it all. But yeah, anyway. They've injected yeah. me with every type of antibiotic. Did you ever see worms in your poo? 
I did not. Okay. Well, and I that. look because I'm looking for the <laughs> S shape. I'm looking for the S shape. I mean, we all look at our poos. Let's be honest. Yeah, yeah. of course. And if you say you don't, you're a liar. You're Fuck a liar. You. you are fucking lying. That's actually my mom and all her puritanicness. She still asks me. She's like, "How's it going? How's how are your how BMs? Are your poos? Yeah. Aww, and I'm like, cute. thanks for asking. Okay. <laughs> Go back. Okay. Um. Okay. Yeah. So yeah. So I was I was like really, I was in a deep deep depression. I re- I remember one time I went to see my therapist and I just stood up in the middle of the session and left because the feeling of having someone's eyes directly on me with all this acne was like too vulnerable and too terrifying for me. Um, yeah. So like looking back now after years of therapy, there was a lot going on there. Like I felt abandoned by God. I felt powerless to help myself because nothing was working. I was in physical pain because cystic acne really fucking hurts, dude. Right. And, and I was like, my anxiety was so crazy around the food that I stopped being able to sleep because I was like, so oh panicked God. all the time that my like adrenals were shot. Wow. So anyway, all that aside, the sense that I was no longer attractive was what was most painful for me in all of that. Like, and, and this is the, I did want to like stop and say, if you have acne and you, and you're like chill with it, fucking great. Like I, I think that's amazing. And I think I ha- like, I have tons of friends who feel that way about their own acne. And I'm like, yeah, fucking work it. Mm. You're cute. And, um, it's also not okay to love having acne because like one thing that I experienced is I would really beat myself up for not being a good enough feminist when all right. this was going on and being right. or like body positive enough. Or right. Like, con- yeah, yeah. yes. And so like, I was going through all this shit. And then on top of it, I was like, you suck Remy because you care about this. And so you're like emotionally. So like you're, you're, you hate yourself for having it, but you also hate yourself for hating yourself. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Like the shame on top of the pain. Right. And so I would think that I was like a spiritual failure because I didn't really love myself. Mm. Um, And it actually took a close friend saying to me, like, what you're going through is really hard and you're not a shallow person for being Mm. sad about this. It took that for me to finally give myself a break and have some compassion, you know, for what I was going through. And when I started to do that, I was able to ease up on myself and just be like, okay, it's okay to be sad. And this is hard. And at, at that point, that's when I was able to kind of work with what was going on underneath. Mm. Um, and the biggest thing, the biggest, um, I don't know, I guess belief running me from behind the scenes was you are disposable. And I oh felt, God. I felt that way already without acne with like, like clear ass skin, I felt disposable that even in my most like quote unquote attractive form, I didn't really matter, which to me was the messaging I was getting all the time from the patriarchy. You know, it was like, you can Mm. be anyone. I'm just using you for sex. I don't love you. I don't Mm. love the unique things that you bring to the table as a woman. Like your emotional depth and sensitivity is annoying your love for mm. beauty is, is silly. Um, mm. Your love of verbal engagement, also annoying. Your desire for connection, also annoying. Like, I hate all those things about you. Um, and if you don't show up as a sex toy, then the odds of you being desired and having connection with a man are like velo. So, mm. so I had like absorbed all of that. And then that belief was twofold for me because it was a combination of, you know, patriarchy messaging and messaging from my upbringing that I also you know, just experienced in my own family. So those are my, those are all, that's like my trauma light and my trauma plus and what's been helpful for me in all of this. Um, at the end of the day, healing my body stuff was Mm. entirely wrapped up in healing my sense of self-worth. And I think we hear that a lot and we give a lot of lip service at like, love yourself. Right. Um, but my experience has been that self-worth healing is not just in changing the way that you perceive yourself, but in the actions that you take the actions mm. that you take around that healed perception. And actually like, I found that it can work in reverse too. Like if wow. you observe what people who have a strong sense of self-worth do, and then you do mm. those same things, it will right. start 
to change how you see yourself. So if you're like saying you love yourself, but you're not voicing when something isn't okay with you, you're not acting on what you really want in life. You're questioning whether your instincts are valid in the first place. I mean, like that list could go on for a long time, but taking action around what's deeply true, regardless Mm. of how others might respond. And like, in my case, men in particular, um, that to me is shocking. (laughs) That was the embodiment of self-worth. And I noticed that I started to heal my relationship to my body. The more, um, I was enacting self-worth in my life. And by the way, I had zero idea of healthy boundaries when I entered adulthood. So this was like not an easy task for me, but what started to happen was every time I gave myself permission to have my truth, regardless of the consequences, regardless of who might walk away forever or be Mm. mad or be resentful, or whatever. Every time I did that, it was like, I was creating a neural pathway in my brain right? called like, I can be exactly who and how I am. And it's okay. Like that trailhead did not exist in my brain up till that point. And I mean, that's what we know now. I mean, that's really the current kind of state of that sort of like, um, you know, neuropsychology is that the body does, or the the brain does create these grooves in your Mm -hmm. brain. And and it's, it's these recurrent thoughts are the places that your brain just goes back to, right? Yeah. And so like the, the, the brain stores both positive and negative emotion right. and you can, yeah. you can retrain and rework them. Because yeah. for a long time, you know, for the last like 40 years or so, it was thought that like these things were fixed, right? Mm-hmm. And I mean, that kind of speaks to pathology, which I'll get to later, but go ahead. I just, I just want to reinforce what you're talking about because it's yeah. so true. Yeah. Thank you for doing that. Um, that's perfect. Yeah. Cause it was like, I, it was like this path did not exist. And I was going in there with a machete and like clearing out all of the crazy, like jungle debris and forging this brand new neural pathway. And then that Mm. pathway started to get some foot traffic, the more I used it and pretty soon, you know, I was looking at like a new gray pube and being like, huh, well, it's not my favorite thing, but it doesn't change (laughs) my value in any way, you know, like, right my body gets to be one of the things that can be okay exactly as it is just like my big emotions, my anger, my Mm -hmm. boundaries, all of it. Um, and yeah, I mean, I still have some to work through on this one. Like, you know, it's a work in progress for me, but, but I've come a long way for sure too. I love that. Thank you, BB. Um, Remy, I love that you, you've done so much work and you're so like insightful to it. It's amazing to me. Oh, thank you. I told you it's my favorite thing. I, I could talk I, about trauma all day. <laughs> well, we're going to do it. We're going to yeah, do, do it. Let's do it. What um, about you? Let's hear yeah, your Yeah, I mean, thoughts. I have a lot of, I've got a lot to unpack here and I've purposefully kind of like left it open-ended on my end, but <laughs> I just wanted to talk about, um, you know, I, we kind of started talking or hinting at patriarchy and maleness, male bodies, male versus female bodies, or, you know, intersex bodies. Like all of these things are, rest on this idea of like male supremacy mm-hmm. um and like what you were talking about earlier kind of are like these core beliefs you know and like core beliefs that we learn um and like i think of core beliefs kind of like a like a pair of sunglasses um whereas everyone has a different shade that causes them to see things differently right um And like the consequences of like putting on these sunglasses are kind of in reaction to what I see as like patriarchal systems of control and the ways in which we learn to use our body in those systems. Mm -hmm. Um, And oftentimes, you know, queer people or or particularly femme people, um, femme identifying um, folks kind of like bear the brunt of this trauma that is in reaction to patriarchal culture, right? And like these result in like these core beliefs, like I am unlovable, I am not good enough, I'm a bad person, I'm stupid, I'm ugly, I'm abnormal, I need Nair to reshape my pubic hair. Mm -hmm. Um, And you know, these are all just kind of like the ways in which we learn to use our body. And as like a queer person, I just remember as a child, like I knew that about myself before I knew anything, before I even knew you know, what the difference was. And like the way that I learned to use my body was like steeped in this like homophobic, queer, fat phobic culture, like you're speaking to of like the eighties, particularly in my home, which is like an evangelical home, which of all of evangelicalism and like, you know, neoconservatism, um, all of these things like really hate the body. And like, you're taught through that 
for brand of Christianity, right? That the body is evil and it's the container of sin and that anything that you want or feel through your body is bad. Um, and like all of Christian theology is sort of predicated on this idea that our bodies are bad. And so, you know, you take that and you imbue that on a larger collective consciousness, which kind of results like the US for the most part is still a Christian thinking place, mm -hmm, right? Totally. And like we are taught very early on to think of our body in a way that is evil, right? We're, and the, I think this kind of lends itself to all of these other things, which it's like, um, you know, it drives consumerism, it drives capitalism. It's like women, the power being taken away from femme bodies and given to men, right? Is like kind of what is underneath all of this. And like, that's a very recent development psychologically, like yes. for a really, you know, like in humanity's long history, it's only been in the last, you know, few hundred years that this has been the case. And I, you know, I grew up, like I said, in church and I think about a lot, um, you know, kind of Mariology um, and like the way in which like the Virgin Mary was kind of just like cut and pasted from like this matriarchal goddess worship culture and right. like slapped onto the Catholic church where look at, just think about that, right? Think about how Christ's naked body is everywhere. Like it's totally normal to see a naked man up on a cross, up on a wall everywhere. But like, look at the Virgin, what is she wearing? She's literally wearing like a blanket, like covering her body. Right. Head to and tail. I think, yeah. And I think that's like kind of how we think of unless your body is being used in service of men to sell nair or bubble gum or whatever you were right. talking about. Yeah. And oh, can I say something? Yes, please. So I could, I totally experienced that because, you know, I'm super pro boobs. I think I'm like tits out all the time and I will post images. Um, like when I went to Mexico, with my friend and you know mm -hmm. we of course like the second we could get topless in the fucking caribbean we were on it and right. of course we took pictures and like <clears throat> i posted a lot of those pictures on instagram with like the nips you know you gotta like cover the right. nips otherwise like they'll take your shit down but like right. there's always a fear for me that men are gonna look at it's not a fear it's a, a knowledge that men yeah. are gonna look at that and be like "Ooh, she like she wants it you know, she wants it. And yeah. really it's like more political for me. And it's more like activism for me. Like I get to take up space with my titties. Nip. Yeah. Like yeah. I get these titties deserve some space. And if you're not asking yourself, you know, and I feel like that is another piece of this whole thing is just paying attention. Right. So like your healing journey kind of led you to this space in which you were like really asking yourself these questions. Right. Mm -hmm. And like the veil was lifted when you were like having self-supporting conversations with yourself. But like, why the fuck is it illegal or not illegal? But like, why is it edited out or not? OK, it like violates terms and conditions to show the female nip that we all suckle from like no right. one unless you were bottle fed like you know the human body has evolved to suckle from the nipple and like why is it that a femme body the female breast form the thing that we all require for life itself is the thing that is not okay to be seen whereas the male nip right like a, a male chest is everywhere and you're allowed right. to walk around topless you know like and all of the statues and all of like the libraries and you know academia there are all these male bodies with these exposed nipples with which funny nipples. enough my nipple is not that sensitive and like there's all these people mm. like who are like I love the nipple and it's like I don't not like my nipple um but it's not super sensitive like sexually um, you're saying yeah like there's like a whole group of folk that like if you just like touch the nip, like grace, like it like totally does it for them. Um, I guess I like my nipple, but it's like not my one and only. Right. It's not like your go-to. Yeah. And I think, you know, like we were talking about earlier in capitalism and consumerism and how it's kind of like driven by these fears um, and these like profitable ways to like treat these fears or to like escape these fears. Um because the body ultimately under capitalism is just a container of labor power. Like that's the function of the body is to work, to like gain capital. Mm -hmm. And like, if you think about it in terms of like, what is capital? Like, what is the body? And like, we even look at our own bodies, like we learn to hate them in service of 
you know, patriarchal systems of control, but also like social capital. Like we see our body as the way to get us places or not to get us places or that will like, you know, like you were saying, like get us love, right? And isn't that the most core human fucking thing is like to be deserving of love? Like, is that not like the ultimate trauma? Like the deepest trauma is like feeling unlovable. Yeah. Um, and like, again, like as a queer person, like I just really early on started to like learn to hate my body kind of as an extension of, you know, underneath why I was queer and afraid to do so, you know, so, afraid wait, to come out. Can I ask when you were like in some of your earliest childhood memories, did you know that you were queer? Did you know? I did. I mean, I yeah. just thought it was like, I literally thought as a child that I was the only person on the planet who had ever liked someone of the same sex mm, right. <laughs> and totally, I was like they're yeah, gonna fucking hate me if I tell them but like come on I was like doing like the song and dance I was like I mean not that like even that like right like the whole like idea that like how we act or what we say or like what we like has any semblance uh, like it it bears no value on our sexuality or you know our uh uh, gender identity or gender expression none of that is related to like how we talk right or how we act mm -hmm. or what we like right all of those things are completely unrelated um but yeah I just really early on I was like oh my god like they're gonna hate me first I was like god's gonna fucking hate me sure sure Jesus is gonna hate me right, Jesus and so hates then like me part of that was like I was like if God hates me and Jesus hates me and my family hates me as a queer person then I hate me mm. like that's and then you know I really quickly learned that food was like a self-soothing thing for me and it was something that I had access to mm -hmm. um and so yeah I mean by the time I was 14 I was like 260 pounds wow. um which I'm like you know, I'm tall given I'm tall. That's true. Yeah, that's you're an, really tall. That's another thing though, too, is it's like male bodies, right? The way in which like the male height and like the male form, those are all used as like the measuring stick against everything else. Everything sure. else is measured to that, right? So especially um, height, yeah. Yeah. And like I have so many privileges, but one of them is my height. Like I'm six foot four. But when I was like 12, I was like I like now I'm I'm under 190, for example. But like um, yeah, it's because I learned to love myself through food or hate myself through food. Like both, like you were saying, it was both. It was both the thing that I was treating, soothing myself with and the thing I was punishing myself with. And it was like my thing, like food, especially peanut butter, which I still love, um, kind of became that for me. Um, and like, I think too, and then as I grew up, um, it was the way in which I learned to like, you know, get attention. But then like when I did come out and when I was finally like out in the world, um, you know, the body memory and like your physical storage of that trauma, that initial core belief trauma, your body retains that, right? Mm. And so then I went the opposite way. Like when I first started coming out, like <laughs> I moved to LA and I wanted to be a model, um, which was all <laughs> yes. code for like, I'm not gonna eat. <laughs> right. And like my hair fell out for a little bit and like I was smoking like two packs a day, but wow. God damn it, I wasn't fat, you know? And God damn it, I liked myself, God damn it. Um, and then like, that was the time that I kind of learned, like when I first came out and I first lost all the weight, like I kind of learned what like the, at least where I was at in LA in like the early 2000s, which I think it still is the predominant um, gay, you know, culture, which really is just a cut and paste of hetero culture, the dominant narrative of hetero culture, but like more self hating. <laughs> um but that like no fats no femmes right like mm. all all oh, i remember gays, that yeah and all yeah. the gays that i knew wanted six packs and they wanted manly men and they wanted <gasps> yes. like they did okay. not want like a soft femmy queer person that i was you know underneath that so can it's I, like can i just say i have found like just having um gay friends and like kind of seeing and male, male identifying gay friends and like kind of looking at their grinder with them and whatever. Right. I have really been blown away by how mean it feels like gay men are to each other unless they fit a very um, narrow. Uh, but that, that is an extension. The, 
of trauma, right? That's an extension of the initial trauma of feeling not wanted, not worthy, not valuable. And like, so you think um, like men who are requiring that of other gay men, they hate are like themselves. projecting their they own self-loathing onto the people they're looking for. Got it. Got it. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Yeah. And like, that's why this form, you know, this idealized form of the male body, you know, is so impossible. Yeah. You have to like to have that form that we're told is like the hot guy. It's like that shit takes fucking work. Like those bitches are working out like 60 hours a week and eating like two eggs followed by like, you know, a coffee colonic or some shit. Like they're not, you don't just naturally, unless you're like a hunter gatherer, you're not like <laughs> running around with a six pack, you know what right. I mean? And not yeah. to say, but like, I do think like the way that like fat phobia kind of plays into self I think it's all tied really to this, like, um, it's like a fear of loving oneself where we're at, you know what I mean? Right. And it, it's a learned behavior. Um, but yeah, no fats, no femmes. That was fun. Cause like, well, I didn't even know how to like find guys. So like I Craigslist was my friend. MySpace was my friend. Yes. Um, and then like, yeah, like uh, Dove, my twin, who at the time was David, we would like, when we first got our license, we would drive to West Hollywood and like wait till the bars got out. And then we would like try and pick up boys or men to go home with us. Why didn't you go into the bars? Because we were like 17. (laughs) Um, And then we got fake IDs, but like um, initially we didn't know how to do it. But like, yeah, we just learned really quick. Like this is what a gay man looks like. And this is how we have to be. and yeah, I mean, now I just kind of look back at that as like, wow, like what a fucked up reaction to like, you know, not healing your inner child, right? right. And like not a- addressing these core beliefs, like, and you know. What did your healing process look like around that? I It's ongoing. I yeah, mean, I don't, sure. I don't always look in the mirror and love what I see. Sure. Um, and it's an ongoing thing. My weight still fluctuates, like, um, in November. I mean, we should also acknowledge that it's the pandemic. So, um, yeah. So yeah, who among my, us does not my journey? Yeah, yeah. It's ongoing, and I don't think anyone ever arrives, right? Like, I don't think right. I'll ever arrive at this place where I'm like beyond. Where you're like, I am, I am a fully perfect relationship. Yeah, with my body. Yeah, right. I think that that's an ongoing thing, and it's one that takes work. And like you were saying, you have to keep going back and keep going back, and like. One of the things that I've tried to do in reaction to like knowing that about myself, about my body and all this is like, I just try to keep promises to myself. And sometimes it's just one a day, right? And it can be really simple. Like today, I'm not going to smoke a cigarette or not, or today I'm not going to, and it's, it's just one little thing. And it's just a way in like reworking my inner dialogue of being like, see, you're worth keeping a, your promise to yourself. You're worth mm-hmm. it. And so, yeah, I think that kind of that's at the core of my, how I've tried to do that is like learning to see myself through a lens of being deserving. Mm. Um, Because that's what it was. Like, that was my inner child being like, you don't deserve it. You don't deserve good things. Right. Yeah. Um, And do you think like part of it has been like healing, like um, the strength in moving away from that evangelical sort of brainwashing stuff. Like I can only imagine that that has had such a huge healing effect for you too. I mean, that still shows up in so many ways. Like for example, like the way that I, there was a period that I am sad to say, like I was a little bit of a misogynist, right? Mm -hmm. Like there was a period of my life where I was like, and that's also really deeply embedded in like gay culture. Is like women are vindictive or evil right. or bitchy or catty or not to be trusted or da, 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 da. And it's like, again, gays have that, straights have that, queers have that. Everyone has like the woman as the fucking bitch mm-hmm. trope, right? Like that's right. like the underlying narrative. And it's like, even as a gay, you know, cisgendered white dude, like the way in which I look at the woman's body, you know, is still through that lens. And it's like, there's nothing worse than being a woman. And if we're talking about like core beliefs about the body, mm-hmm. right. Mm-hmm. Um, that we're taught. 
So I don't know. I think my, I don't know if my journey there is where I'm at as far as other than I'm aware of it and I'm working on it. Cool. Um, and the self dialogue that goes down sometimes, like, um, I don't know. I, I still buy like a certain size pant, even if I'm like 20 pounds more because in my head, that's mm. like the size that I want to be or need to be in order to be presentable to the world. And so sometimes I just, they just hang there in my closet and I'm like, I don't get to wear them, <laughs> you know, but like mm. kind of as a way of like moving the guidepost away from myself. Um, yeah. So it's a thing and it, yeah, it, it, yeah, yeah, of course. Um, I do want to touch on one thing real quick. So one of the, um, you know, I think that pathologizing these things and like the ways that we're given options to treat ourselves or self-soothe are really limited. Um, but one of like the biggest, I think, glaring gaps in like um, psychology right now is like body dysmorphic disorder. And it's considered to be like a mental health disorder in which you like can't stop thinking about these perceived like defects or flaws in your body. Um, and it's really bizarre, right? Because it's like our culture rewards that behavior and teaches us to want to hate certain things that are in our bodies that are natural. And it, it again is like kind of just reinforcing this binary way of thinking about the body in which there's a good body and a bad body, a male body and a femme body, a fat body and a thin body. And it's like this like binary constructivism that like permeates our culture. Um, and, you know, I think at some level, I and everyone I know, <laughs> Miranda July, um, <laughs> suffers from this dysmorphic body image. Yeah. Um, who do we know who who just like genuinely doesn't give a fuck? You know, it's that's so rare. Yeah. So anyhow, I mean, those are my kind of thoughts on that. But like in my head, I'm still a fat kid. And like, you know, and like. Yeah, sometimes it's a journey. Sometimes I have to like remind myself to eat. And sometimes I have to remind myself not to eat. <laughs> mm -hmm. I do both. Like I like will eat a whole sheet. Oh my gosh. But I have this like bakery right down the street from me that has this like amazing focaccia. Oh, and girl, yes. I want oh everyone God. to have this focaccia. God damn it. Is it Remy friendly? We don't know. No, it's Probably definitely not. not. It's like oh. the opposite of Remy friendly. Um, <laughs> anyhow, I think now might be a good segue into inviting Eli into the Yay. combo and hear their thoughts on all of the things we're talking about. Eli? Oh my gosh, wow. Thank you. And where where do you want to start? There's so many things that just came up, like, uh, you know, controlling the body and the idea that like, I don't know, I feel like what you're talking about, the shaming that happens just creates opportunity for determinism, whether it's things through market economy or mm. you've talked about religion. It, the one thing I haven't heard named is white supremacy, mm. which I think is really deeply connected to everything that you're talking about from not only coveting the woman, but hiding and privatizing her. And also, you know, some forms of, of hatred um, and then a lot of the, like, you know, the body, the body, the ways you're talking about the body is just like really interesting to think about, like, you know, like if you have any sort of curve to your body that makes you undesirable, like that's so deeply rooted in white supremacy. And like, mm. I don't know, I'm just, there's so much coming up right now. I just, I wouldn't even, I don't even know where to begin. You know, I like, love that. Well, can you kind of dive into that and talk more about that for, cause I know some about that, but I feel like there's a lot I could learn. I also think just before that happens, I just think Eli, please just run with it. But also like, and to point out that we're three white people and or a white passing person and two white people like trying to have this conversation that we are in the dark about it, you yeah. know, and that it's like, that's what we are. That's where we're at. <laughs> yeah, right. It's a long journey of unlearning all the things that we've been conditioned to um like like you both have been talking about I think it's it's really complicated like the ideas um I think it was Remy earlier that was talking about how like but also Jonathan like there's this like the status quo kind of like suffers less which is definitely true in a like structural way but I think in a spiritual way and in a body way you know um there's a lot that that 
you have to suppress to be able mm-hmm. to fit within the status quo. And you have to really hurt yourself in a lot of deep, deep ways that aren't always obvious because you've been taught to do it since you were small, you know, like mm. and you see it on TV and everything. And so it's really super complicated, you know, because of course we should find balance, you know, and also there's something quite out of balance in, in the narratives that we're all conditioned to right now, I think. Mm. And I don't know. Um, I think, I think it's really hard. Um, this like core belief that you were talking about, Jonathan, and like thinking about where our core beliefs come from. And earlier, Remy, you were talking about like how you've done a lot of healing work. And I was thinking and wondering about what what new narratives are informing us as we're unlearning white supremacy or unlearning patriarchy or unlearning all these things that we've been taught to embody that really mm-hmm. just are controlling and deterministic and harmful to ourselves and to others. And just because yeah. we are rewarded like in this cultural context that you're talking to right now that we're all existing in it's like those bad behaviors are like the idealized ones right like being a white supremacist male body form that's like the ideal body form right 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 was, like old yeah. european you know like greco-roman style is where you get that chiseled male form you know like this certainly that existed in all kinds of other cultures as well but as an ideal as a like perfect form that got, came through again in the enlightenment and again in other times where the body started being this thing that you can control into what you want it to be and eventually mm. that was market that was you know doing that right but right. um the mechanized but, you know, mechanized yeah. container of labor power right right exactly yeah. and so it's, it's really complicated um to like think about that but also again going back to what narratives are we replacing these old ones with where where are we learning self-love and making sure that like those the roots of wherever that's coming from really are challenging the separation mentality that is part of what you're talking about like separation of the mind and the body separation mm. of man and woman separation of human and nature all these things you yeah know, what is like to cart um, cartesian dualism right right exactly exactly Mm. and how to get beyond that and when we're putting in new stories that it's not the either or thinking it's both and like yes i Mm. can be sad about this gray hair in my pube and i cannot care because i value elders and because i recognize placement and cycles of life and you know, and that those, all those things are deeply beautiful. And mm-hmm. you know, we've been taught to say, oh, older, psh, you're going to the home, you know, right. like mm-hmm. that you're no longer worthy if you can't, like you keep pointing out, Jonathan, be a productive labor body. Right. You know, and that, that ultimate is to sex, be a sexual toy for men or to be, you know, making money in the market. Right. But also like something I've learned about my culture, like evangelicalism christianity generally speaking is like a death avoidant culture um it's mm-hmm. like excising ourselves from the cycle of life like you're speaking to and it's like that is another piece of why we live in this a body obsessed youth obsessed culture is because we're not ever given cultural tools to deal with death right yeah we're we're so terrified about death or being ugly or old right those are like the worst things you could be Yeah. Yeah. It was interesting. I recently was on a road trip and I went through, um, I did a long stint of it through a Navajo reservation and everywhere, you know, COVID's happening. So everywhere there are signs, huge signs that say, respect your elders, wear a mask. And I was like, this is such a different narrative from, you know, outside of these reservations where truly like there is no respect for elders culturally. And so it's like, you know, I have rights versus like respect your elders. There's just not this consciousness around um, cherishing the like your elders. Mm. Yeah, I love that, Eli. Thank you. That's great. Yeah, 
just part of the ways we've been separated, right? We haven't been taught to watch people grow old and watch them die. You know, just like we haven't been taught to watch women nurse their babies and that those things are okay and part of life. But mm. again, the, we're, the world's changing around us and what narratives inform us as we go forward are really important to how we get there. Yeah. And, but I think too, like, like that, of course, like ecological collapse is the outcome of a culture that's divorced itself from bodily autonomy, right? Like, of course, the climate is collapsing. Of course, we're being ravaged by this disease. Like all of these things are like logical outcomes to a culture that like separates itself from life in the sense that like we don't teach ourselves like how to live with it or how to love our bodies. We teach our kids how to hate their bodies for the most part. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it's like, Eli, like, I think that like, how do we go back there? Like, how do we go back to like seeking, you know, that? Oh my gosh. That's such a hard question, right? Such a long process. I think, I think it's a lifelong commitment, you know, Mm -hmm. it's, it's, and it's not linear and we're going to mess up and we're going to have to experiment and, get creative and accountable. And the best thing we can do is just keep trying and to not listen to the fear narratives that say everything is over. We have a time limit on ecology. We have a time limit on these things. So Mm. a sense of urgency, but not so much like in the white supremacist notion of we need an answer yesterday. It's more commitment to the process. I mean, Mm. there's been so many catastrophic things that have happened to this planet even before humans and right. look at what exists today so if we take ourselves out of being the center of the planet you know right the planet's going to go on without us but sure. or hopefully with us but how we get to be a part of that is i think really important and you know how what ancestors are we now right like how like what, how do we become decent ancestors for like the ones that come after us? Right. And it's like kind of on us. Right. Yeah. The choices that we make now, which kind of makes me want to ask y'all because all of these um, bigger concepts ultimately are rooted in the decisions that we make personally and how mm. we as individuals um treat ourselves and then like, you know, that feeds the community and then the community feeds it's, you know, the country and then et cetera, et cetera. And so I'm curious if y'all have, um, even like a small, I had a, a, a friend who's a coach who once gave me fucking amazing advice. She was like, I was saying, I feel like, I, you know, I'm not making a big enough change in X, Y, Z. And she said, um, you know, if you just alter your path by one degree Mm. and you keep going in that direction by the time you've gone for however long you're going to be in a completely different place than you would have been right if you had gone straight in your same way so so i'm curious if y'all have just like the slightest thing even the slightest adjustment for me and for a full circle, part of that for me, the slight adjustment is learning to love my body. Right. And yeah. And it's learning to like be okay in this body and, and to like make friends with this body. And like, I know that sounds like, you know, obvious, but like the actual process of doing that is like kind of, to me, the answer to a lot of that. Is you there know. a specific action that you take or like maybe just one that you want to share that's like, this is helping you do that? Part of it's finding things about my body that I'm okay with like liking, mm. you know? Mm-hmm. So, you know, for a long time I was like, I all my brothers and sisters have blue and green eyes and I have the brown eyes in the mm-hmm. family, my twin and I. And for a long time I was like, why don't I? And that's a, another white supremacist, totally. like Aryan purity bullshit thing but like um I learned to love those eyes you know or it's like there's one of the things and they're my mother's eyes and they're her mother's eyes and they're you know the ancestral eyes so it's like part of me it was just reframing and like re taking the lens through which like I saw my eyes as ugly and like learning to love those and I think that's like kind of a larger question Eli do you have anything to add oh wow um uh one thing so I guess one thing that I'm really feeling like is true right now 
is that I can't do anything alone mm -hmm. and that I can make all kinds of little shifts to make my life better. But the mm -hmm. reality is, is I want to see a beautiful world and that takes collective shifts. Mm -hmm. And so it takes being able to be in dialogue with people that separation society like has kept me from being with, whether it's my elders, whether it's children, whether it's people of a different pol politic than me, you know, mm. it really means getting back into relationship with things that I have been separated with, which again, like you're saying, Jonathan, is radical self-acceptance of my body, starting yeah. with my own home, which is my body, you know, and then moving mm. forward into radical acceptance of others. Oh, I love that. Oh my gosh. I love cool. that too. Yeah. One thing that I have been doing my little shift is I realized recently, this is like a witchy thing that I'm getting really into is like, so I read tarot and I, the way that I, I don't read tarot the way that most readers do where they like turn over the first three cards or whatever. I go, I ask a question and I go through the entire deck. And when a card, a card will like give me a jolt, like I'll feel a jolt, a physical jolt in my body when it's the right mm. card. And that's how I know which cards are the ones. And I've noticed that I can do that with lots of things. I mm. can be in such connection with my body that I will ask my body, how, how many of this vitamin do I want right now? And mm. I'll say one, I'll start with one, two. And then when I get to the number, I'll feel the jolt. Mm. And that like trusting my body and, right. and being like, I value you and I know that, you know, and we're in this together and mm. I want you to have a voice in this rather right. than me always acting on you. Like you're a part of this fucking conversation. Right. Like that, that to me is this change that I'm making where, um, I'm starting to understand that bodies have an intelligence and, um, you know, there's like, I think it's, that comes from like a, um, a deeply feminine wisdom, mm. uh, that has been relegated to like old wives tales or, you know, witches or whatever. And also like purposefully taken from us, like right. you guys talking about, like there's been like a literal, like agenda that has been by white supremacy and capitalism and modernity has been like forced on us. It's like antibody. This like anti-self-trust, this anti-self-body trust, right? And it's like, that's the undoing of it is like learning to listen again. Yeah, right. Exactly. Yay. I think we could talk about this forever and we might have to have Eli back for a round yes, two. I would love that. Eli, thank you so much for coming on. Thank you so much for having me. I'm really holding that notion of like your intuitive wisdom and, and thinking about that right now so thanks for bringing that in oh cool yeah and thank you for talking about communities and like reconnecting I love that I love that too I think that's one of the best things like is like connecting ourselves to each other because like if thinking if you have all of the answers like I only ever find out how much I don't know or how much I haven't seen or like where my blind spots are especially like when you have someone that you trust that comes on like Eli and hopefully we, we can have you back at some point um but yeah, it's like always finding where you are, your experience is similar or dissimilar to someone is often where like the growth happens, I think. Yeah. Yay. Trauma. Uh, trauma, Rama. Ding dong. Ding dong. Also, hey, follow us on Insta. We're at Trauma Rama Ding Dong. <laughs> follow us on Instagram. And also, if you uh, like what you're hearing, you can always donate on our platform. Woohoo. All right. Woohoo. Have a great right. week. Love y'all. Love y'all. Okay, bye. Bye.